Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you and enjoy. Hello, my name is Anup Agrawal. I'm an associate professor for internal medicine and pediatrics at the Baylor College of Medicine. I'm here to speak with you on a talk entitled One Size Fits All, The Benefits of Exercise. As healthcare providers, we are accustomed to advocating for diet and exercise for our patients. Diet and exercise are two uniquely prescribed treatments that provide benefit to nearly all our patients, regardless of age or disease. But I ask you, how often do you actually give a patient an actual written prescription for exercise, one that details quantity, intensity, or even components? And if you're like most practitioners, then the answer is most likely rarely, either because of time constraints or lack of comfort in knowing what to prescribe. And if you're like the majority of Americans yourself, then you most likely are also guilty of not get living up to the prescribed recommendations. Let's start by reviewing the most recent physical activity guidelines, the evidence upon which it's drawn, and the latest benefits from physical activity and how to prescribe these activities. We'll then transition to looking at the evidence for specific types of activities, such as high-intensity interval training, known as HIT, and yoga. And finally, we will discuss common barriers for patients and strategies for overcoming these constraints. So where did these national physical guidelines actually come from? In June of 2016, the Department of Health and Human Services appointed 17 academic experts to conduct a review of the current science related to physical activity and health and generate new guidelines. Now, the first of such guidelines was actually published back in 2008. This committee was charged with focusing particularly on new results that were not reflected in the 2008 report. It took them two years of extensive review meetings, and analysis, which all culminated in the 2018 Physical Activity Guidelines Advisory Committee Scientific Report. The findings were reported and submitted to the Department of HHS, who published the official second edition of the Physical Activity Guidelines, easily searchable on the internet. So, what did the report recommend that was new or an evolution from those past guidelines. One of the most important findings was the expansion of health benefits that we see from physical activity. Now the list is quite long, but these included a reduced risk of all cause and disease specific mortality, improved physical function, and improved quality of life. Those are some very high yield benefits. 
the data also showed brain health benefits, including improved cognitive function, reduced anxiety and depression risk, and improved sleep and quality of life. It also reduced risk of fall-related injuries for older adults and reduced risk of cancer at additional sites. So it's very clear that physical activity impacts the entire body, every organ system, on almost every aspect of our well-being. One of the most surprising benefits relates to how soon these benefits were actually seen. Can you believe that a single episode of moderate to vigorous physical activity can improve sleep, reduce anxiety symptoms, improve cognition, reduce blood pressure, and improve insulin sensitivity on the day the activity is performed? When you look at the benefits for disease reduction, improved physical function accrues within days to weeks after consistently being active. So this is a very critical point when talking with your patients. The results are immediate, but they can even turn into a sustained benefit after just a few weeks of being active. Prior recommendations stated activity had to be conducted in a minimum of 10-minute bouts in order for it to count towards the goal, towards the weekly goal, this preset minimum 10 minutes. Good news now. Evolving new evidence has shown that exercise bouts of any length of time that qualify as moderate to vigorous physical activity will contribute to these health benefits associated with the accumulated volume of physical activity. This is very good news for those of us who have a hard time finding time to set aside for a minimum of 10, 20, 30 minutes to conduct ourselves in physical activity. Therefore, the new recommendation is for any duration of activity to count towards meeting overall time goals. So lots of smaller activities can add up, such as parking a car farther away or taking the stairs rather than the elevator. Each drop counts, and drop by drop, you will fill the bucket of necessary quantity of physical activity goals that are outlined. Now the evidence was graded as strong or moderate that was used to form the basis of these guidelines. So what does this mean for you and your patients? Science is demonstrating the most direct linear relationship between physical activity and life expectancy. Simply put, being physically active directly impacts your life expectancy and quality of life. Put one more way, to be insufficiently active is an independent risk factor for increasing mortality. These are powerful statements to address with your patients when discussing the role of physical activity and well-being. So now you're probably curious, okay, you've built this up. What are the specific guidelines for adults? Well, let's review. First, one must participate in at least uh, 150 minutes, that's two and a half hours, to 300 minutes, so approximately five hours, of physical activity that is of at least moderate intensity exercise per week. So you're probably asking, well, what is moderate intensity exercise? Well, moderate intensity is anywhere from 3 to 5.9 METs. As a refresher, MET stands for metabolic equivalence. So one MET is the energy you spend sitting at rest. 
your resting or basal metabolic rate. So an activity with a met value of four means you're exerting four times the energy that you would if you were sitting still. So what does a met of moderate intensity, which is three to 5.9, look like? Well, that would mean something along the lines of brisk walking. Now, if you chose to say, do something a little more vigorous, so you wanna participate in a vigorous aerobic activity, the requirements are actually lower in terms of total minutes per week. So if one participate in vigorous activity, they would need to conduct at least 75 an hour and 15 minutes to 150 minutes of physical activity per week of vigorous aerobic exercise. That amounts to exercise that is at least six METs or more. This typically involves things such as jogging or running. There's one additional requirement, aside from these time-specific requirements of aerobic activity, and that is that all adults should also do muscle strengthening activities involving all major muscle groups on at least two occasions over the course of a week. Let's take a little closer look at defining moderate versus vigorous, especially when we start to talk about older adults. Older adults, those especially 65 and over, can have reduced uh, oxygen capacity. And so for them, what would be deemed moderate exercise might be considered light ex exercise for a younger adult. So one way to help your patients determine whether what they are doing is truly light activity is ask them to just conduct a talk test. So a talk test would imply moderate, in moderate activity, one can talk, but they cannot have the energy or the ability to say sing. When one is conducting vigorous exercise, usually that means as they're doing the, the activity, they cannot say more than a few words without pausing for a breath. So it's a very nice tool to help patients determine whether what they're undertaking for themselves is classified as moderate versus vigorous. Let's focus a little bit further on older adults. This makes up a large, sizable population for many of us. For older adults, including frail adults, some of these goals I've just outlined from the national guidelines might be unrealistic. But I have some more good news. And this good news is in the data. Those over 65 still gain substantial health benefits, even if they do not meet the key guidelines. The goal here is simply to be more active. Something is better than nothing. So light activity around the home, doing chores are much better than just simply being sedentary, which unfortunately is the state of affairs for many older adults. There is a second component or second important element to what older adults must focus on when it comes to their physical activity. They achieve the greatest benefit based on the science and the data if their activity is a multi-component activity. What does that mean, multi-component? It means physical activity that can incorporate balanced training, aerobic activity, and muscle strengthening. 
these three separate components form the basis of multi-component physical activity. Examples of this include activities like yoga, tai chi, dancing, and gardening. So here I want to stop and ask you to take a moment to reflect on what we've discussed so far. What are the clear and dramatic benefits that are being seen from physical activity and how quickly they are seen, as well as the key guidelines outlining the minimum amounts that are needed per week for, to achieve these goals? How often have you given your patients any type of prescription outlining the specific physical activity goals, goals that address duration of activity, type of activity, moderate versus vigorous? Have you ever incorporated or advised strength training as a key component on at least two, time, two days a week? And if not, then I hope this review is providing you with the tangible elements to begin writing these prescriptions for wellness. Now let's talk and get more specific about what a prescription might look like. So you have that individual with you in your office or maybe on the telehealth visit, and you're wondering how to achieve this. Well, in 2018, guidelines gave some excellent examples of ways to prescribe and help patients overcome some of these barriers. Time is a very common barrier, and the ability to track and measure what they're actually achieving can be another barrier. Pedometers and fitness trackers have become far more prevalent and also far more uh, accessible. And pedometers are simply one of the most accessible and cheapest ways to objectively measure and increase total activity time. Step one is to have the patient get a baseline of how many daily steps they are taking in an ordinary day. And what I mean is a day without episodes of exercise. So let's say for example, they take 5,000 steps in an ordinary day. The second step then would be for the patient to measure how many steps do they take when they go for a 10 minute walk. If they discover it's 1,000 steps, then if they were to do a 20 minute walk goal, we can make the assumption based on the math that they would need to do 2,000 steps. So you can see where we're going with this. Step three. They now add the number of steps in an ordinary day with a number that is needed for a 20-minute walk. So in this example, a person who's walking 5,000 steps in an ordinary day can add on 2,000 steps in a day, and that would achieve 20 minutes of moderate activity goal. They now know they need 7,000 steps in one day. But how about getting to the point of achieving the recommended 150 minutes of moderate activity in a week? Well, they would need to achieve 7,000 steps every day for seven days. So you can now see how we've taken that 150 minutes of moderate activity and given it the, an equivalency of 2,000 extra steps each day for seven days. And the beauty of this is the patient may not have the time to set aside a, a prescribed, defined 20 or 30 minute session for walking or exercise. But if through the course of the day, they simply do things to acquire more steps, then they will be achieving the same goal. As we mentioned earlier, one simple example to help move them in this direction is starting to park the car further away from, say, the entrance of a store. Let's talk about muscle training. So for muscle strength training, it must involve the major muscle groups, such as legs, 
hips, back, chest, and arms. Now, there is no specific amount of recommended time in the physical activity guidelines. However, guidance is given that it should be performed to the point at which doing another rep would be challenging. And there's multiple examples of what one could use from weights to resistance bands to simply carrying heavy loads while doing heavy gardening. So this is for the patient to decide how best to go about. Next, I want us to look at two increasingly popular types of extra activities, and this is yoga and high-intensity interval training. Yoga is a type of activity that would be considered a multi-component activity, as we mentioned when we talked about the older, older patient. Uh, this means it combines aerobic, muscle strengthening, and balance into one session. For older adults or those who need activities to reduce fall risk, this is one of the best options you can recommend. Many studies have also looked at whether yoga can be of benefit for those with arthritis, osteoarthritis. A systematic review in 2019 found that yoga may be effective in improving pain, function, and stiffness in those with knee osteoarthritis. In a study that compared yoga to aerobic exercise in an eight-week randomized controlled trial, the yoga group had significantly less knee pain and higher perceived function. And clearly, more studies need to be done in this arena, but the evidence is definitely pointing towards significant benefits for those with arthritis. And, I, and for most elderly folks, finding a reliable yoga class can be hard in these times of the pandemic, but many videos on YouTube exist, and hopefully classes at the YMCA or other local community centers can be a, a good resource for them. Now, high-intensity interval training, also known as HIT, uh, as the name implies, is a very vigorous activity that is conducted in a lower volume, typically under 10 minutes. This type of activity is becoming very popular in the mainstream of society these days. Uh, what I found interesting was a systematic review and meta-analysis in the journal Sports Medicine in 2019 looked at HIT. Uh, and what, what they found is it was found to be time-efficient means for increasing fitness, but interestingly, they did not see it making a difference or improve the body composition in terms of an individual's total body fat mass compared to moderate intensity continuous training. But still, for those who have time as a limiting barrier, it's nice to know that one minute of vigorous activity equals two minutes of moderate activity. As we alluded to in the guidelines, if you were to do moderate activity, the goal is 150 to 300 minutes per week. If you do vigorous activity, the goal is lower, it's half, it's 75 to 150 minutes. So in this, speaking in this respect, HIT can provide a more efficient means of achieving those activity guidelines. So it's clearly one solution to those who cite time as one of their biggest barriers. Now, aside from time, many other barriers exist from just simply the motivation to having resources. We should do our best to help patients with education on the clear winning benefits and help create achievable goals. The new evidence guidelines broadens the manner in which patients can achieve the recommended time 
of 150 minutes by no longer needing an activity to be a minimum of duration of 10 minutes to count towards that goal. I think that's one of the best things that has come out of these guidelines is to make these goals more achievable by removing that requirement. The activities can be unstructured, like climbing stairs or walking to do an errand. As I alluded to, group classes at community centers offer excellent opportunities. And as the aforementioned use of pedometers can help create concrete structured goals that are obtainable by all. So I'll leave you with these three key take-home points. First, physical activity is a one-size-fits-all prescription. The benefits are beyond just primary prevention of chronic disease. The latest data clearly shows an all-cause mortality benefit. This is a critical point to emphasize to all our patients and ourselves. Second, obtaining the benefits from activity is much easier than we thought. A single bout of moderate or vigorous activity can improve sleep, help anxiety, reduce blood pressure, and improve insulin sensitivity for the day it was performed. Finally, as providers, we must work with our patients to identify and develop an activity plan that is tailored and achievable to their age and needs with the goal of achieving at least 150 minutes. That's about two and a half hours of moderate activity per week, along with two days of muscle strength training every week. This has been One Size Fits All, the Benefits of Exercise. Thank you for listening. We thank you again for joining PrimeMed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Also, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.